And welcome once again to another episode of the Horizon Roundtable. Uh, I'm Bob McDonald. I am the Cleveland State columnist over at uh, More Than Fan Cleveland. As always, you can catch me at on Twitter at Bob McDonald and every week at cleveland.morethanfan.net. And of course, I am joined, as usual, by Jimmy Lemke. Hello. How's it going, Bob? Oh, it's going. And of course, you can catch uh, you can catch Jimmy over at uh, at PantherU.com and on Twitter at PantherU. Yes. Lots to get lots to get through, but the big news this week, and there's no way of getting around it. Wright State. They uh, they have everybody was wondering if Valparaiso was going to run the table on the Horizon League, and the Raiders gave us a big fat no on Friday night. Well, I didn't think that was really going to happen. Um, you know, Valpo is a great team. There's, well, to think of it, in the modern Horizon League, there's only been one team that has gone has run the table in the Horizon League, and that was Butler in 2010, and they were the national runner-up, and that was definitely while they had finished the same in 2011, that was still their better team was in 2010, since you had Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's Butler as the Final Four team. So... There are teams that ha- there there are only five teams in the history of the Horizon League of the the modern since we changed to the Horizon League and added Youngstown State. Um, since then, there's only been five teams that have finished with two or fewer losses in conference, and four of them won at least one game in the NCAA tournament. Yep. And the fifth was Green Bay in 2014. So, if you're a Green Bay fan. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> hey, we went into that. We went into their time. We went into their place and stole their greatest season of the last twenty years. So I have yes, no problem saying that. But yeah, so I mean, the other four teams are the other four teams. I, I believe we have uh, Butler's 07 team, uh, our Sweet Sixteen team from. Tw- uh, is our Sweet 16 team from 2005 or our um, – yeah, it was our Sweet 16 team, um, Butler's Sweet 16, and the national runner-up of the, fir- the first one. So quite a lot of – quite a lot of uh, – a, quite a, a nice group of teams sure. to get there. Um, Green Bay in 2014 was definitely a good program. Um, I don't know if – they would have gotten the Sweet 16. They certainly had the talent they had to the win the tournament. And they did have the problem of, you know, having the injuries towards the end of the year. Alec Brown had hurt his shoulder, and Kiefer Sykes got hurt in the semifinal game against us, um, although both of them played, like, 35 minutes. So, yeah. Exactly well, they're right. going to go through that, of course. Um, but, yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing I – and here's the other amazing part because um, during the win, Wright State – and I don't know if this is – I guess I must have grossly underestimated Wright State this year. I mean, I they did kind of start out – they did start out really slow. I mean, they started out really slow. And – but then they turned around, clamped down on defense, and, you know, they've been – you know, pretty amazing. Pretty so. darn good. It's a, it's a, it's a really good program. I, I, I wasn't worried about them. Uh, I know a lot of people will just look at, you know, look at it and be like, yeah, whatever, roll their eyes at me for saying that. But 
you know, you're just like everybody else. You know, we, none of us really thought they were any good, and I, I, I strongly disagree. All you need to do is go and look at the Panther U season preview for the Horizon League for the conference preview, and I will. I, you'll see that I, I pretty much laid it out there. Wright State was a team that was dogged by injuries. They've had, you know, go uh, before the Horizon League started. There had only been three players on the entire team that had played in every game. And there had only been, they, they had started 10 people up to that point. It's, it's not, it's not a joke that it, it's not, you know, a bad team all of a sudden turning around and becoming good. It's a, it's a unhealthy team turning around and getting healthy over the Christmas break. They're putting together their full roster and it's a good roster. Yeah. It really is top to bottom. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, their team is a lot like Valpo's defensively mm-hmm. in that Michael Carena has really become a fantastic post defender. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, and and he the interesting thing about that, and I, rem- I this is the one thing that I thought was extremely maybe kind of unorthodox, but, you know, you look at their lineup and – you know, Hughes, Benzinger, Allstork, and Thomason, all of them are listed as guards. And they all yeah. and they've all started. So theoretically, if you look at it that way, you have and then Michael Crenn in the middle, you have four guards in the center. And, yeah. and there's then a lot you have of length coming out of the bench. Coming off the bench. They've got yeah, they've got a lot of they've got a lot of length on that team. And JT Yoho is um, a really good guy to have on the bench on the bench. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're st- is he still leading the conference in three point shooting? He was the last time I saw. I mean, um, I'm not sure, but I wouldn't doubt it. Oh no, he's all the way down to forty three percent. Wow. Oh well, he's still top ten, but that's pretty incredible that he's he's at tenth now. Number one is now Matt Donlin at Youngstown State, which oh. would be fortunate. <laughs> unfortunate yeah, we're not talking day. about that. We're not talking about that. Anyway, um. <laughs> <laughs> um, Valpo, Valpo is not. I, I I don't think many people really thought that Valpo was going to run the table. I don't. No, I don't and I think that was the. I, and even when you're talking, when you know, even when you look at kind of the bracketologists out there, they were of the assumption that Valpo was probably going to lose at least one or two games, and could lose about one or two games in conference, and still be thought of as an at-large hopeful. So it's not going to be, it's not entirely the end of the world for Valpo um, losing this one game. Yeah. So. Um, there's just, it's, if you're going to pick, a, for, you know, you have, you have your nine teams to play against over 18 games in the conference season. And say you had to pick two losses to take, um, and then you're not guaranteed in every other game. I'd probably pick losing at Wright State in the Nutter Center. Yeah. Just because they're so good at home, they have been good at home for a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would consider like Detroit's got that really great home record right now. But do I really consider Detroit to be this great home team, no. or has Detroit just not played many good teams at home? I mean, just just to go through the list of the teams that they've played at home. Uh, Central State, Michigan, Dearborn, Northeastern, Toledo, Bowling Green, Central Florida, Youngstown, Cleveland, and UIC. So really, <laughs> no. the uh, until 
Valpo, they didn't, you know, then they lost to Valpo and Oakland. But really, all, all, all out of all those teams, Toledo is probably the only one that is really good. And then Northeastern's kind of getting there. But the rest of them are all ho-hum teams. So yeah. Detroit did not, Detroit was not like, oh, they're such this great home team. They were just, they just had a lot of easy home games. Beating South Dakota at home. Or not, they had beaten them at the Northern Illinois tournament. We we beat South. We lost to South Dakota, and they had beaten them. And as soon as I saw those those results, I knew that Wright State was better than this losing streak that they had gone against. Yeah. Besides their non-division one wins against Mount Saint Joseph and Albion, they lost a bunch of straight games. They lost Cal State Northridge, Northern Illinois, Kentucky, George Mason. Georgia State, Xavier, and Miami of Ohio. Now, out of all those teams, they lost to Northridge was by five. If they were at full strength, they'd probably win that game. Yes. Northern Illinois was by six. At full strength, they'd probably win that game. Kentucky was by 15. I don't know if they win that game, but it's closer. Yeah, certainly. George Mason beat them by 27, so that's probably a no. No. Georgia State, they, I mean, they lost to Georgia State by 13, but Georgia State's a really good team. That's true. And then Xavier was a blowout, but Xavier is a top top 15, top 20 team in the country. Yeah, they and are. Their, their loss to Miami of Ohio was also by five. So really, if you take away, you know, you, you look at, you take the Green Bay loss because uh, they were at full strength for that. You know, they lose at Green Bay. They probably lose the Xavier game probably lose Georgia State and probably lose Kentucky and George Mason. So they probably could be as good as 15 and 5 right now. Mhm. Yeah, and they then, could be. Well, except including today. So they could be 16 and 5. Yeah, well they did beat they, they did beat uh, they did beat UIC. Um so yeah, they're 7-1 in the, they're 7 and 1 in conference and they are they're tied with Valpo and um and they are they they're they're in it. I mean, they are in they are in now. They are in the conversation. They, while they may not necessarily have been in the conversation before, they sure are now. I mean, that's that's kind of goes. Without and saying. I was I had been on I had been on the right state uh, pro boards message board, like telling these people, like you know, they 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 get on Donlin's case, but I'm telling you, he had a lot of injuries to deal with this yeah. year and last year. So, and also the. You know, also the off the court stuff that's not really his fault, like with Tavares Sledge and a couple yeah. of the other guys. You know, so kind of get off his case, let him happen. I mean, we're talking about coaches and fan bases later, but yeah, but really, right? You know, right, with the right state, I just wanted to bring that up briefly because Billy Dolan's a very good basketball coach, and I don't think right state fans know what they have in him, and it's about it's about having a team that can that can stay on the court and stay healthy. So if Wright State can stay healthy through the rest of the year, I mean they're in the driver's seat right now. If they beat Valpo at Valpo, that's that's one up on Valpo, not including all the rest of the games and the sweep. So they would have to lose another two games, and Valpo would have to win the rest of them. You know, Valpo would have to be two games better than them for the rest of the year if Wright State beats them there. Yeah. So a lot, you know, this this conference. I mean, it's maybe it's too early, definitely. But mm-hmm. this conference is definitely riding on what happens at Valpo 
when Wright State travels there. I mean, that's that has become a gigantic game. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a. I mean that that is probably and you know playing at the arc is going to be just as tough as playing it at the Nutter Center, if not we, more we so. We out last week. I mean, we were there. Um, I felt like we had them. Our our players were. You know, we had we were really mixing it up, and we were up. I think we were up at eight or ten at one point in the mm-hmm. first half, and then they just they just flipped the flipped a switch and turn it on, and and they did it without Alec Peters. He only scored seven points against us, but we let the the rest of the team beat us. Yeah, I think Which the way to the rest that, of the team can do absolutely. Yeah. But I think the way the the way to beat Valpo is to let Alec Peters do his thing and get everybody else taken care of because you know nine times out of ten Alec Peters is going to get your, his twenty points. Mm-hmm. So you you just got to hope that he. I mean, you don't want to give him easy baskets at the basket. No. Let him do the jump shots, and if he makes the jump shots, so be it. But he's taking low percentage shots, and then you're get you're you're taking care of everybody else. So, you know, you just have to, you have to body up certain people. I mean, we had the bad luck that Vashel Fernandez all of a sudden came out and had a huge offensive game, which is not something he usually does. He did that uh, against, he did that against Youngstown too, by the way. Yeah. I've, every now and then, I mean, when you don't have somebody that can keep an eye on Vashel down low, which is partly because, you know, what happened with Youngstown State, because they don't have Bobby Hain. You know he's gonna he's gonna run rough shot over you, and that's just how that's just that's because Vashel's just so big, and he's got such long arms that he can do pretty much whatever he wants. He's just not very skilled down low. He's very he actually has very little skill offensively. But, but clearly he had himself a he he had himself a matchup in Corona this time around. I mean he was he was you know he he. You know, he got the. I think I think Corena I think Corena is a great example of how Billy Dolan is a great coach, because when Corena had first really come into the game, uh, come into the league, he really did not know what he was doing defensively in the post, and over in the game that we played him, and in the Valpo game, and in a couple of other ones, you really see Corena has blossomed into. I don't know if I'd call him an elite defender in the post but he is a very good defender for the horizon league level. Yes, absolutely. The, the, you know, if they can funnel people towards him and he's not, he doesn't foul easily. So this is not a guy that this is not a guy that's going to foul out in six out of seven games. This yeah. is a, that's gonna, this is a guy that's going to make sure that he doesn't foul, but he's still going to, I mean, he stay he stays straight up quite a bit. Uh, he keeps his, he keeps his uh, hands to the sky and he doesn't, he doesn't draw stupid fouls. Sure. So they can funnel players to him, and he can and he can act as the big guy and make sure that nobody's scoring too much or having too easy of baskets down low. Yeah. So, what I think makes Wright State dangerous, um, besides you know uh, defensively, I think they're just I think they're just a really strong defensive team. But what 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 makes them dangerous offensively is that pretty much. What is it? Six or seven guys on that team could score yeah. fifty points in a game, and they that's, have. I mean, they have. I mean, you know, Friday, you know, the 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 win. You had Thomason and Yoho score more than fifteen. Um, today it was it was uh, Mark Allstork. Um, yeah, I also had Yoho in there. 
too. Yeah, big- he was he was he was lighting. Yeah, and um, uh, Biggie Menace was in it too today. I mean, from top to bottom, Wright State has has a lot of different scores. And you know, how do you game plan for? any one of them who could go off at any point in time. I mean, the Cleveland state win, Michael Corona went off. So, I mean, it is, um, you can't, you can't just protect the basket by playing no. a zone. You can't just protect the basket by playing a post heavy zone because they shoot the three very well. They do. A lot of players. Which on they the pr- yeah. And they, they proved that again. And, uh, they proved that again against uh, UIC today. Um, the one, the, the, my most favorite part of the whole game on, uh, against Falpo was the Grant Benzinger buzzer beater. Did you happen to see that at all? I did. It was, it was right. He was right past the free throw line. I thought it was uh, pretty great. Did that end up on the sports center top 10? Cause if it I, didn't, it should. It, I don't know, but it should have. <laughs> Cause that was, Absolutely. that was a thing of beauty. <laughs> I try not to watch SportsCenter. I don't want people. I don't want people to know that I actually watch them <laughs> out there. I don't need to watch SportsCenter. I have Twitter. Yeah, I'm good. They show people show vines and clips on online all the time. I don't. I don't need SportsCenter, so I'm I'm good. And besides, most of the stuff they're talking about SportsCenter, they're talking about it's usually about you know, I don't know. They're, basically, it's talking about you know, basically stuff I don't really care about anyway. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> Right. But yeah, the um, so yeah, you're you're absolutely right. This is going to set up for a very interesting. Uh, that's going to set up for a very interesting um, rematch, rematch up at the arc. Um, and not just that, you know, you also have. You're also probably going to have a revenge map too, where you have yeah. where you have because remember, right state lost to green bay up in green bay so i mean not to say not of course to say that uh you know wisconsin isn't far and away the toughest road trip for anybody but you know i think it's a, I think it's a difficult road trip just because of the, the travel and the cold for some teams it's out in the hinterlands um, yeah it's 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 pretty it's pretty crazy um when you get out of the when you get out of the bus in green bay yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just kind of nuts. Um, I don't sure. think that we I don't think that there's this great home court advantage. I don't think the sure. fans at Green Bay are particularly rabid, and I don't think our I think our fan base is. It's it's hard it's hard to be me and be in that fan base. I mean, we have people come out, but they're quiet. They're so quiet. Like they're watching a performance art piece. Or in the they're not quiet on the. Not sure. quite on the message board. They love talking no. garbage about Rob Jeter. Like, you know, sure. Um, I will say this. That said, um, another key matchup is going to be on Friday because you're going to have Wright State going up to the arena. And I am very interested in seeing um, what happens with Oakland, who – what the hell happened to them? <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I, think that, I think that it's going to show us – I think it's going to show us pretty much where Oakland stands. Yeah. Because if right if Oakland gets Wright State to run with them and Oakland wins that game, then Oakland can look at the other teams and say, "Look, this is our signature win right now." Cuz at the moment their signature win is Detroit, which is a good win, don't get me wrong, but you didn't beat Valpo and you didn't beat Wright State. 
and Which, you and you lost to Youngstown and you lost to Northern Kentucky. Right, right. You didn't take care of business against the teams that you needed to take care of business against. And the, yeah, and, and speaking of Northern Kentucky, I mean Northern Kentucky is not in last place. <laughs> um, we, we, I know, we talked a little bit about kind of their, oh. kind of their whole resurgence. Basically, I mean, how they're kind of, you know, they're kind of the young guys and, you know, they're, they're just starting and everything. But, you know, the Oakland win is huge. And then they turn around and beat beat UIC, too. So, you know, they've so got they got three wins under their pocket. Yes. Three and five, which is not great. Obviously, I, th- I think we're I think we're pretty much on the nose earlier when we were talking about how Detroit and Northern Kentucky are. Um, there's pretty much a, a line in between them. Yes. There's a there's a space between sixth and seventh, and yeah. that is a bigger, a wider berth than it is for most of the teams. Yeah, it um, is. But I will say that it really looks like Northern Kentucky may be the best of that bottom four. Um, they do now. <laughs> it wouldn't be terribly surprising. I'm trying to remember what Valpo was their first year when they had Igbob Boa and um, was it McPherson? So Brandon McPherson was. The yeah, I think it was McPherson. Yeah, I mean they were they were a pretty darn good team. We were really excited to have them come in. Yeah, um, I think everybody was. Light the world on fire, and I think it wasn't until 2010 or 2011. It was actually the 2010-11 season where Valpo really turned it on and looked like they were going to be one of the best teams. Because um, they they had in 20, 2011 they had a hold of first place until like a week, a week or so left in the regular season. Yeah. Cause remember that was the, again, that was the second year of the Butler. That was the second, uh, that was, that turned out to be the second Butler run in the yeah. NCAA tournament. And you're absolutely right. It was a matter, but Valpo was kind of leading that whole thing. It was, you know, Butler was kind of, ha- it looked like Butler was kind of having a down year, but apparently they were just, uh, they, they were just uh, playing possum cause they, Turned around, won the tournament, and then got back into the uh, got back into the NCAA tournament, and made the finals for two years in a row. Which, you know, that is that that's an impossible feat, especially for a mid major, as they were at the time. Yeah, the second year is a little bit of a sore spot for me because <laughs> we just didn't we didn't have a good game plan, and they bottled up Anthony Hill in that title game. I mean, this is this is we 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 had beaten them at Butler in overtime. And we had mopped the floor with them at the arena by 24 in January that year. So we were we were very confident that we were going to beat them going into the NCAA tournament and go to the NCAA tournament in that title game. Um, you might you probably wouldn't be surprised to hear this. We were a lot more afraid of Cleveland State than we were of Butler in 2011. Oh yeah, because that that Cleveland State team in 2010, 2011, that was the that was the Norris Cole senior year. Plus you had Montgomery. Plus you had Harmon. Plus you had Aaron Pogue, who, which is interesting because for the entire time he was here, we you know we we had a love hate relationship with the guy. But you know, thinking back now, he was he was definitely more than a serviceable big man. Yeah, I mean, I, we always gave. We always had a problem with Aaron Pogue. He was from he was from Dayton too, wasn't he? He too. He was from Dayton Dunbar, same as Norris. And Nor- were they? They were in high school at the same time, huh? Uh, I believe. Uh, I think um, Pogue was. I think a. I want to say Pogue was probably about a year younger. Probably, I cannot remember, but yeah. 
but, but yeah, um, how, how about how about those two guys that write state let go under their nose? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I told how you. About those, how about those two guys that Dayton let go under their nose? Hey, you know what? Like I like I've said many times, Gary Waters has has Dayton Dun Dunbar on lock. So you know, because again, because also Andre Yates, Dayton Dunbar. So. Oh, yeah. No, and then we're getting in. Um, uh, what's his, what's the gentleman's name? Uh, one of our new recruits is also uh, Evan Claiborne. He transferred from Dayton Dunbar. He's playing at Thurgood Marshall in Dayton. So, so hey, why why is it that Billy Dolan's not able to recruit his own backyard? Is what I'm wondering. I mean, Norris Cole and Aaron Polk, you know. Yeah, he, they, they kind of Norris Cole, Cole mostly laid the foundation now. So um, Dayton Dunbar is going to be a pretty tough nut to crack um, for anybody but Cleveland State. So um, that's kind of how it went. <laughs> all because all because you got all because Gary Waters recruited a kid who only got one scholarship to a Division two team and was thinking about playing football. Norris Cole was thinking about playing football, huh? Yeah, yeah, because he got he. So, I mean, that was, that was, that's the story, the, the legend of Norris Cole. But um, back to our other point about kind of Northern Kentucky and their, their kind of premier. See, Northern Kentucky is a little bit more behind the eight ball this year than Valpo was when they came into the Horizon League because at least Valpo had come from the Summit League and was, you know, there was a winning you know, kind of a winning tradition had, there, of course. Category. They, were, they, they had won a bunch of. They had won a bunch of. Yeah, in a row. Some I mean, uh, titles. Yeah, they pretty much owned. We, we, they we pretty much pulling, own that league. We we're basically consolidating our power by getting them, just like we did with Oakland. Sure. Yeah, you know, was taking away what was what was good from the other Midwestern mid-major conference. Yeah. Before before we could do it, uh, before they could, you know, usurp us. Exactly. But Um, Northern Kentucky is an interesting situation because Northern Kentucky is unique in the fact that they're still in, this is their last year of their provisional division one because they just, uh, they just came up from division two. They spent a year at the, in the Atlantic sun. They spent, you know, a season in the Atlantic sun, which, you know, being Northern Kentucky, the Atlantic sun is, you know, they stick out like a sore thumb because they're obviously the most northern, the northernmost member of that division. And, you know, the Atlantic Sun is pretty much a way station for anybody who goes through Division One at this point, them and the, them and the Western Athletic Conference now. I so, know I would like to be in our conference too. Uh, who's that again? Lipscomb. Oh, yes. Lipscomb's not coming until Belmont gets here. So, and uh, unless that uh, happens. Um, but then again. There, there, there may never be a time when Belmont would come to the Horizon League, just because. Not as a full-time member. They had feelers out when the MVC went for Loyola. Mm-hmm. Belmont had feelers. Yeah, from, sure. From the MVC and they passed. So my so. guess is that we'll never see Belmont as a member of the Horizon League, unless the Ohio Valley Conference just starts falling apart. Um, I don't see that so, happening. I really don't. I mean, unless, unless you know, unless some things that happen kind of outside of it. I mean, unless you have one of those OVC schools decide that they're gonna. Because remember, OVC is predominantly a, a you know they have except for except for Belmont. Um, 
all the rest of the teams, you know, all the rest of the schools in there, they they have football. So unless one of them decides that they want to go to Division One A or the, you know, the bowl, the whatever they call it now, the bowl, you know, the bowls, the, the FBS division, division, and then the football championship subdivision. Yeah, exactly. So the football bowl subdivision, if they go to, they're an FCS now. If they go to the FBS division, then I mean. And they go to, you know, so one of those teams go and then, you know, it's kind of all bets off. But I don't really necessarily see that happening in the near, yeah, near the term. OVC is definitely a conference where you don't, you, you shouldn't expect that out of their programs. No. Missouri Valley would have a much, much you, you'd see Missouri Valley teams start doing that first. Um, in fact, there's, there's some discussion with the MVC football schools of should they all just go as a, as a group up to FBS well, um, there's an and interestingly enough, if you now that you mention that, um, if they all do that all at once, uh, guess who's in that division in football? Youngstown. Youngstown is in that division in football. So well, they they I think uh, well, the Missouri. What we have to remember is that the Missouri Valley Football Conference and the Missouri Valley Conference, though they share offices, are actually yeah. separate entities. So they're not they're not the same. They aren't the same thing. So Youngstown wouldn't have to leave the Horizon League. Um, I don't think Youngstown State's ever going to leave the Horizon League until we force them to. And now that Northern Kentucky's in, there's still the two Ohio schools. I don't see the votes there to kick out Youngstown. No. Um, it's just it's it's unfortunate because I think there's a group of basketball centric schools, specifically Detroit, Oakland, Milwaukee, Valpo. Um, I think you I will get there, and Green Bay's there too. But Green Bay kind of has the budget issues that Youngstown has. I just I I think that the votes, I think the votes are almost split down the middle of the nine schools as to who would vote to kick out Youngstown State. Cleveland State because never think, would. They would no, not. No, and that's because you're so close to each other. That has nothing to do with, like, I don't know if it has to do with rivalry so much as, you know, what? why, why would we kick out a team that's so close to us? Um, we're not close to them, so we don't have that connection. No. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I would trust our athletic director to make that vote. If I were athletic director, I would be leading the charge in that. But then again, it is what it is. Youngstown State's not a, you know, they're it's just a dumpster fire of a basketball program, and it's never it's never going to change. They're gonna they're gonna pull off big big upsets as they did this year with Oakland back in 2011. They beat you know they 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 do pull off good wins. And there have been years where they have se- they have not been an easy out, but at the same time, they eighty uh, percent of the time it's still Youngstown State. So they're lucky now that UIC is as bad as they are, and that Cleveland State is just it seems to be in this tail this this flat tailspin. I mean, it, it's pretty sad what's going on with Cleveland. To see them lose that game today, I mean, you're a fan, so I don't need to tell you, but no, you really don't. <laughs> I'm just saying, Young, Youngstown's just never going to get there. I, I, 
I believe that Cleveland State can get back there. I'm pretty sure UIC is going to get back there, and all of that's all of that's good. I, I just don't I don't see Youngstown ever being there, and I think I think Green Bay is kind of getting towards the end, but that's really a budgetary thing, not so much anything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's we have this idea as a conference that I think they got this idea that 10 is a nice round number. Yes. When, when we've proven that eight has been the best number for us in 98. So had we had, had we got rid of Youngstown instead of adding Northern Kentucky, we'd probably be in much better shape right now. And that's not a knock against Northern Kentucky. It's just, it wasn't that long ago when Butler was part of the conference and we talk about expansion, we never brought up any possibility of bringing on a provisional division one school. There was, there was never any indication that we would even consider such an idea. Why would we bring out a provisional D one school when we can just have our, we can stand pat and wait till that provisional school is ready to go and then break. But Say la vie. But the thing is, things aren't the way they used well, to. The thing, and again, this is the other thing with Northern Kentucky. This is kind of why, I, and I know we alluded to it last week about you know why it's a good thing that they're here, despite the fact that they're a provisional. They do have even at Division Two, they did have a tradition. They did have a good winning program because in the 90s you know we're talking about a you know you're talking about a d2 you know per consistent d2 final four team and even you know in the 2000s you had yourself a consistent you know d2 tournament contender so and there's, um, two, and there's two goals in the conference that we can point to that we're just as you know we're just we're also very good division two teams those being oakland and Wright state yeah absolutely like, especially right, oakland Greg Campy will talk about all all day about how, you know, some of his biggest battles as head coach at Oakland were against Northern Kentucky when they were both in Division Two. So, you know, the funny thing is, he they clearly had one on his hands this time around too. <laughs> yeah, they've got a. You know, it's it's funny that Oakland and Northern Kentucky have a history and a an established rivalry to come back to, which is a, pretty similar to when Oakland joined the conference and all of a sudden they could get back to their you know, their former midcon rivalry with Velpo. It's, it's just, it's, it's really funny how that, how that is, is that all these schools in the Midwest, you know, we shuffle conferences, but we, we do have history with each other, you know, and, and a lot of times long history with each other, you know, even without, even, even when we go from conference to conference. So it's good that Northern Kentucky's there, that they have tradition. Um, it's really good that Northern Kentucky is a program that, has no facilities problem whatsoever. No, uh, no, they, uh, those facilities, that, that BNT, uh, arena, that looks, that is a really sharp facility. Um, the BBNT arena, which is better than, sounds better than Bank of Kentucky arena, the former name. Um, BBNT is, I think it's immediately the best facility in the conference. Um, the Nutter Center is twenty some years old. The Wolstein Center is twenty some years old and too big. Um, the Rush Center is fifteen years old. Our arena is sixty years old, sixty like sixty two years old now. Um, and they're all of similar size. Valpo's Arc is 
you know, a di- you know, a div- really a Division three building, but and the UIC Pavilion was built for hockey. So really, when we're looking at like what facilities are, I, I, North, you you want to point to Northern Kentucky. Look at this, you know, this nine thousand seat palace that they built only five or six years ago, and it it looks like it will be it'll stand the test of time, much like the Nutter Center has. So I'm I'm excited to have them for five to ten years from now. I'm not excited to have Northern Kentucky for today. Um, I know that it would be better for us oh, to have them. It was it was a better long term decision to pluck them up because if we hadn't plucked them up, you know that the mid the summit would have or the Ohio Valley would have, and if they had gone to either of those conferences and then turned into the power that we had thought they would become, then the Horizon League would be further down the pecking order again, and we'd be stuck with Youngstown State again, and we'd just be we we'd just be kicking our you know we we'd, we'd be thrashing with the water we'd be treading water, and I'm 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 happy that they've been proactive. Oh shit! And so when I when I say that Northern Kentucky is a as an addition for five to 10 years from now, I'm not saying that Northern Kentucky is not a good program that we should want right now. I'm just saying that they're not very helpful to us right now. Uh, We want them because we don't want to lose them to the Ohio Valley or the summit, then have them turn out to be very good and then hurt us down the road by strengthening the conference that they're in moving that conference above us. Um, I don't think that Northern Kentucky is an anchor down the road. I think Northern Kentucky is somewhat of an anchor right now, but that's just because they're still a provisional one D1 school. So when I when I say that I wanted to cut Youngstown instead of adding Northern Kentucky, it wasn't a, a negative towards Northern Kentucky. It's just that they were the latest, latest team to jump on the bus, and I'd like I would I would have much rather kicked Youngstown's asses off the bus than. <laughs> bring somebody else in. Um, it probably isn't going to happen um, just because there's too many teams, that, there's too many programs that may think that they're in a tenuous position. Position. There's a lot of programs that are somewhat close by. Um, so I think you need a, I think you need a super majority. I think you need seven out of seven out of nine teams to vote to remove a team, if not unanimous. So, yeah, that's it's just, it's, basically it's, it's a whole lot of not happening. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's unfortunate. And, you know, we also at Milwaukee, we've got somewhat of a problem of being in the same conference as Green Bay, although Green Bay has been a great basketball program. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some there's some academic issues with being in the same conference as them. Um, being in the same conference as them as Green Bay kind of elevates their uh, status among people in the state of Wisconsin versus us. Uh, we don't really it – do, it doesn't so much – maybe I shouldn't say it elevates them so much as it pulls us towards their level. And there are a lot of kids that will choose between us, Oshkosh, which is uh, a little bit closer to Green Bay than Milwaukee, but to use, to use a school that both our schools compete with for students. Oshkosh is in Division III. Um, it's a much it's, – it's double the size of Green Bay, but less than half the size of Milwaukee. Um, academically, we're we are much closer to Wisconsin than we are to the rest of the UW schools. 
So for us to be in the same conference as the third smallest school in the UW system out of 12 schools, for us to be in the same conference as them, where they're pretty much like, I don't want to say they're a, I mean, they're a glorified community college, is what Green Bay is. <laughs> okay. They have a very nice GPA for incoming students, but Overall, I mean, the, what what the school does is really not – it's not a high – it's not like we are a public urban doctoral research university. We are top 100 in business, top 20 in architecture, top five in film. We're top we, – we're, we're, we're nationally ranked in a bunch of stuff. We're a good academic school that's getting better every year, and it's hard for us in Milwaukee to kind of – separate ourselves from green bay when green bay doesn't uh, when they're in the same conference as us so the prospective college students in the state of wisconsin largely don't believe that milwaukee is head and shoulders above the rest of the uw schools uh, this side of madison when it is and that's um Every school in the UW system is a, is, a, is, a, is a great school, a nice school. Um, they all have good per- they all, they all have, serve a great purpose. Uh, some of them have really nice master's programs. Uh, I can I had considered myself taking the sports management program at uh, Lacrosse uh, after graduation. I didn't do it. Um, there's some other ones. They're 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 all good schools. Uh, I'm just saying that Milwaukee is a school that covers a lot more bases. And as a much bigger school, and caters to a much larger population, obviously. Right, right, right. And I mean, we have twenty-eight thousand students, and we're on the back end of, you know, we when I was when I graduated, we have about, we had thirty-two thousand students, and we've gone down because the college age population in Wisconsin is is shrinking quite a bit, but we're on the downside of it. You know the the college age population is going to be going up in a few years, so it's kind of uh, it's 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 a it's a matter of academics, not a matter of athletics. Um, Green Bay doesn't have a lot of money; they probably won't be able to keep up with the rest of the Horizon League with budgets rising as they are. But they've achieved quite a bit. That athletic department probably doesn't get the recognition that it should for how, how much they've achieved with so little resources. Absolutely. I think I would go as far as to say that Green Bay gets more bang for their buck than any any school in the Horizon League. Absolutely. Oh without, uh, oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. They achieve well in men's basketball. They are the gold standard of programs in the Midwest for women's basketball. I'm not, even saying, I'm not even saying Horizon League. Um Green Bay women's basketball is by far the best women's basketball program in the state. Um, if they lose to Marquette or Wisconsin in women's basketball, they're, they kind of like look around and wonder why it happened. <laughs> the same way I'm sure Wisconsin fans were looking around like, why did we just lose to Milwaukee? Sure, sure. So, um, so uh, there's, there's, quite a good, there's quite a lot of good things about Northern Kentucky to be in the pro in the, in the conference. I'm just saying that there's um, they don't elevate the conference at the moment, five years from now, 10 years from now, depending on how fast they figure it out, how fast Brandon really gets the, gets the, the train chugging down the tracks. Um, they could be a really great program 
in five to ten years. But I we know just what? Don't know. I will. I will. I will go one step further. I think just based upon the progress that they've made this year, I think they are. I think they're going to be. I think they'll be. I think Northern Kentucky will be in the conversation, if not competing for a Horizon League title, at least in the upper half of the conference within two to three years. I think that they. That I think just based upon what I have seen to this point with that team, I think they have the ability to reach the upper half to be able to compete yeah. with the upper half of that of the conference in two to three years. And I think it, and again, it goes back to kind of what they came out from where they came from, despite them coming from division two, they come from a winning tradition in division two. Otherwise I think it would have just been a plain mistake to, for them to even bother with it. Like for the, like, for example, the, the slash schools in Indiana. So, I mean, you know, I, to, I really would. If I could, if I could have run, if I was running, if I had been the czar of Northern Kentucky, I really wish they would have built the BB&T Arena, the Bank of Kentucky Center, whatever it was when it started. I really wish they had built it at six thousand seats rather than. You think so? Um, we have this idea that arenas should be bigger in the in the Midwest. We have this idea that a really good mid-major program should have about ten thousand seats. Um, and I think that's false. Yeah, I think we, we, we talked about this. Yeah, we did when we had when we had the Detroit guys on. Yeah, they, we we talked about this that you know you have the you the big big programs are you know even them they you know Duke has, Cameron has what nine thousand you said Butler has nine thousand you know nine thousand nine thousand seems to be kind of the even for a top program seems to be kind of the limit you have to, really. You have make it a tough ticket because you have to have people want to be willing to work to get into your games that's what san diego state has going on right now which we talked about a couple weeks ago i mean that's what some of those schools have right now is 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 a tough ticket it's it's hard to get get to these games so for a school like i i think that arena size is 90 percent of cleveland state's problem I really do. I think if the Wolstein Center were 4,000 seats, Cleveland State would be in a much better position than it is right now. And nor- like like Cleveland State, Northern Kentucky owns that arena. Uh-huh. So the problem with that arena being 9,000 seat is, seats is if, some, if, if a entertainment act, a musician or the WWE or something comes to Cincinnati – of which Northern Kentucky is a suburb, is in yeah. the is in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. They're coming to Cincinnati. Why would they go to the nine thousand seat BB and T Arena when they can go to the ten thousand seat Cinta Center in Cincinnati? See, or, with Cleveland State, it's a little different because you have the thirteen thousand seat Wolstein Center, but down the street you have the twenty thousand seat uh, Quicken Loans Arena, and the, you have it. Yeah. And in that case, you you have a matter of. A team, uh, a venue that's far bigger. That's is the, you know, the gun, is the Gundarina the Q? Yes, it is. Yes, we okay. changed it to Quick. Yes, when, when Dan Gilbert bought the bought the team, obviously he own he's owns Quicken Loans as well. You know that that's okay. how that whole thing came about. 
Okay, so I I just I had, I didn't know if they you guys had built a new arena. I didn't know. That no, much. we we changed our name. We changed the name of the of the arena from Gundarena to Quicken Loans Arena, which is awesome because anytime I hear the words Gundarena, you, you I think of a I think of an STD man. It's it's no Gundarena. <laughs> no progress. If you say it too fast, not. you have some problems. <laughs> Maybe they should have called it the Gun Center. Uh, Possibly, I don't know. They weren't really. Yeah, you know, I think they were just more interested in getting that thing up than anything, and just kind of moving them out of the old Richfield Coliseum because the Richfield yeah. Coliseum, um, it was, you know, a good half hour away from downtown. And it, it's in- think, think of it. For, think of it as where the Pistons play in the Power of Auburn Hills right now, where Auburn Hills is located in proportion to Detroit. That's what yeah. the Cavs had when they were playing at Richfield in proportion to downtown Cleveland. Before, before the Wolstein Center, where did Cleveland State play? Woodland Gym. How many we seats played, is it? Oh. Woodland Gym is 3,500 uh, 3, and I'm sure you had to get creative with that. But, um, yeah. It sounds like Woodland Gym is exactly what the Klotchy Center is. It is. It's an, actual, it's an actual gym. And, you know, yeah. the – I think the big thing, and this is probably uh, the big thing at Cleveland State, is the uh, not only the issue of the arena itself, but an issue. And I know Gary Waters has talked about this multiple times about having a facility, a practice facility that is on campus, that is on campus, that is close to the actual buildings. Wolstein Center is clearly not. Um, how far? How far is the Wolstein Center from campus? It is probably it's a good two blocks away from campus. Because you, blocks? it's a it's a good two to three blocks away from the rest of campus. Really? So, oh. so when you have a, so when you have a, a venue that is and across the street from it is basically nothing. I mean, you you think of the you think of the types of amenities and and you know attractions, restaurants, bars, whatever that you have. Say for example, across the street from other venues like the like Quicken Loans Arena or or anywhere else, th- those aren't there. I mean, the across the street from across the street from the Wolstein Center is the highway and the Salvation Army. I can't make that up. Do you, are there any like alumni who are like big time real estate developers? No, um, but there are actually uh, most of the uh, most of the alumni are just. Uh, from what I can tell, and there's really a couple of them. They, they you know, they're they're businessmen, but um, most of them are just donating on the acad. A lot of them, as far as I know, are donating on the academic side. I mean, you know, we got. Well, I mean, but as it relates to basketball, no, because if so, we had somebody, because if we had somebody who was, you know, if we had a one of those rich donors who was donating to basketball, we'd have a scoreboard. <laughs> we'd have an actual well, scoreboard instead of the ones. Well, I know that I know that you want to be able to pull in. You, you have to be able to pull in donors from academics to become athletics sure. donors. Yeah. Uh, uh, sometimes athletics donors will get a lot of times. Athletics donors are also academic donors, and they're actually athletics donors first. Mm-hmm. But they get pulled in academics. Right now, our biggest uh, athletic Cleveland State. The opposite is true. Um, yeah. The opposite is true because we have um, the two. Our, uh, we have three big donors. One of them is the one of them owns his own one of them owns his own company. One of them is the uh, is the CEO of Parker Hannafin. 
Um, and then there's another gentleman, another business owner. They are, they are, their big deal is, is donating academically. If there is something that needs to be donated academically at Cleveland state, these are the guys to talk to. They are the ones to talk to on the, on the athletic side. It's, it, it's, it's weird because it's not the that that component does not look like it's really there now with that said it's not to say that they don't get you know they don't get the donations medical mutual just donated a million and a half dollars to cleveland state to re uh to renovate the renovate the you know the tennis court so now it's under you know now it's under there used to be an open air tennis court for the tennis teams and now it's going to be in um a 24 it's going to be a 365 you know year-round facility now um it's not to say that those things are the case but to the to the extent where you know cleveland state can ask for donations because i know john perry had mentioned it multiple times since he's been here about getting a scoreboard um one of those video you know the scoreboard in the middle of the arena and he stopped talking about that about a year and a half ago well I, I'm 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 almost to the point where if I were if I were John Perry, um, it, it, it's almost he, it was he retired before he went to Cleveland State. Yeah, remember he was the Butler. He remember he was AD for a long. Time. Yeah, and so um, yeah, he was the Butler AD for a while, and then he came back. Um, CEO is a big donor. Parker Hannifin, yes, the CEO of Parker Hannifin, um, Donald Washkowitz. Yes, he actually his, his the engineering school is named after him now. Really, it is. He's the chairman. Okay. Uh, yeah, I believe, I believe. Yeah, Donald. He's the chairman CEO of. Yeah, we've got we've got the engineering school named after him, and the administration building is in fact called Parker Hannifin Hall. You do want eventually. You want to pull people into athletics from academics and keep, I mean, you want to well, see, here's here. the other, but see, here's the other thing about Cleveland state though. I mean, these are um, the gentlemen who do donate now. They were, they were a part of a much bygone era where Cleveland state athletics was, I mean, we're talking about sixties and seventies where Cleveland state was pretty much an afterthought. I mean, it didn't become until the it didn't become until the late seventies when you had the soccer and the volleyball teams doing well, and then in the eighties, obviously with the with the men's basketball, you know right. that you had you know significant you know progress and you had significant things going on. So um, they didn't come from that area. They came from the you know the late sixties, you know early seventies, where you know you know athletics wasn't you know. Aside from aside from swimming, because you know that that part was you know the, you know that that was the one thing that was you know was very you know concentrated on to the extent where you know Cleveland State build a build an auditorium that hosted you know NCAA championships and Olympic trials at once upon a time. Other than that, there wasn't a lot else there. <laughs> okay, I'm just trying. I just I just want to know because I know that if I'm running. If I'm like the czar of Cleveland State Athletics. We just run out of rich old people, man. <laughs> well, I, I, you, part of the problem is that you're not pulling in students, which is part of the part, which is entirely because the arena is too large. So when uh, if you do get 500 students at a game, which I'm sure would make you extremely happy, if you get 500 students at a game, that's still that's still you know 126th of the arena. So you don't. There's nothing really to keep them coming back. Whereas at Oakland, if 500 students come to the arena, that's an eighth of the arena. 
if they get a thousand students at a game, a quarter of the arena is students and they get really excited and they want to come back and keep doing it. Um, so part of me wonders like, is, is the best, the best course of action to try and find, you know, try and, you know, raise the Wolstein center and then figure out how to renovate the woodling gym into like, the problem with, and that's an interesting point. And the reason that you cannot do that with the with Woodland Gym is that it is landlocked. There is the rec center that they just built ten years ago to the left of it. There's the health services building that they built to the right of it, and right behind it, they built a uh, built a parking structure. So, uh, and all of those have been built over the last ten years. And so the I uh, so unfortunately the I the 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 idea that we would be that Cleveland State would be able to, you know, expand the Woodling Gym to be able to create a, a larger facility, even if not for, a larger facility, is kind of a non-starter. Not to mention the fact that when you're talking about Woodling Gym, Woodling Gym still is the uh, still is the home of the volleyball team and the wrestling team. So they have it. They need their own. They, so own the Wolstein Center. So in the meantime, you know, if you were to if you were to raise and rebuild that facility or gut it like Louis Loyola did with the Gentile Center. I mean, that, the, you, we, you talk about how it's landlocked, but with the Gentile Arena, you know, that was, that was, it's about the same size as the Ark, a little smaller. So it's just a little bit bigger than what Woodling Gym is. Yeah. Well, what uh, I'm thinking, what, 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 the other thing that Cleveland State has to do, and again, this is, this goes back to the location of it, is that, because the Wolstein Center is so far away from the campus as a whole, and not just the campus as a whole, this includes the classrooms and the dorm rooms, you know, there's an issue of, there's an issue of distance that is kind of, it, it seems like it's kind of disconnected from the rest of the campus. So even if you do raise it and renovate it, you're still going to run into that same problem. Now that said, have you guys built dorms lately? What oh, yeah. was we've built a lot of dorms. That's that was a part of. We have built a lot of dorms in the last ten years. We built student. Uh, we've still student apartments on the other side of campus. We've got a uh, Cleveland State's got another student housing, um, student centered housing project going on. Um, that's going to be starting, I believe, sometime this year. So there's, what I don't get is how come none of this was built with the Wolstein Center in mind. Um, once again, they took the money that they could get for the Wolstein. You got to remember that, you know, even with that, I mean, Cleveland State, prior to the Wolstein Center being built, there wasn't, there was probably a good, uh, there was probably a good decade where, decade, decade and a half where Cleveland State didn't build anything. Um, yeah, you know, the, you know 1970, I think 1976 was pretty much the cutoff from when they were building everything. So when that was the, and I, you know, the, so I think the last thing that they built was, in fact, the the pool, uh, because they built out the rest of the campus over the course of, you know, between 64 when they started as a university to about 76, 77, when the last part of the, um, a couple of the academic buildings and the, and the natatorium and what ended up becoming the Wolstein, uh, Woodland Gym came together. And so you had a long gap of things where you didn't have anything being built. In fact, the 
to your point about were there anything else being built? No. As a matter of fact, in the mid eighties, the, um, they it, rather than build uh, rather than build dorms, they just decided to Cleveland State just decided to buy the old Holiday Inn across the street and just rename it Viking Hall. Okay. So, uh, so you got yeah. so you have a so and then you know after you know and, and then the Wolstein Center was built and then they built one more building, the communications building, and then which connected which was actually connected between the university center and the law school. And then after that, it was another six, it was another six, seven years before they decided to, five, six years before they decided to build anything else, which was the um, business building and the urban I'm, building. I'm looking at Cleveland State on, on Google Maps. Mm-hmm. Is, is the Wolstein Center this building that's between Prospect and Carnegie? That's the one. Okay. So it looks to me like what, what's in between Euclid and Prospect where the Wolstein Center is? You know where the Spingo's Court is. What what is there? Um, that's the that is the Days Inn. That's the hotel that's over there. Um, the hotel. So yeah. you guys could literally buy a hotel if we, you wanted if, to. We, no, they did. That that's owned by Cleveland State. Oh, so they own a hotel, and that are they converting that into student dorms? Or yeah, that's gonna be no. That's that's still gonna be a Days Inn. Um, and that makes so sense because there's really, there's really no other there. That's probably the closest, uh, ho- that's actually the closest accommodations to campus. So that kind of makes sense, even though down the street, you have all the hotels for Playhouse Square, but progress. I didn't realize that progressive was so close. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. Everything is, yeah. Everything is probably within about, you know, you probably, you know, four or five, six streets down. You're, you're down pretty much in everything. So I just don't understand why this arena was built to be so large. Uh, as, I've, as I've already, if I, as I said, as I said in previous podcasts, the state gave them a lot of money and they took it and they ran with it and taking the money, but I would take the money and build something much better and smaller. Was, were they, uh, if were you've they, been on the Cleveland State campus, you'll see bigger and bigger and smarter for a for long stretches of this uh, this school's history was not really the call of the day. It <laughs> well, really wasn't. I mean, just 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 to give you a perspective, um, the 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 large tower that Cleveland State has is is Rhodes Tower, which if, if you are familiar with, to you on the side of the building. What's that? One that has the big CSU letters on the side of the building. That's the one. That big ugly thing. Yes, that was our idea of outstanding architecture. Yeah. Yes. Not as not not as bad as the university center, which was one big was a big open space that was covered in that was uh, closed in with glass. A big open space closed in with glass. Big open space that closed in with glass. Yes. Come on, we we oh. affectionately called it the cage. I mean, <laughs> it looks, I mean, looks like you have some nice green, uh, some nice green space. And in- we do, we do, we yeah. Cleveland State has a lot more green space now than they did say twenty twenty five years ago. I mean, there's there's a lot more there. Do you guys have a law school? Oh yes, Cleveland Martial Law. Absolutely, that's where Tim Russert from Meet the, late of Meet the Press, uh, the late Tim Russert graduated from there. Tim Russert went to Cleveland State for his law degree. Yes, he got his law degree from he got his law degree from Cleveland from uh, Cleveland Marshall. Yep, he sure did. We're very very. That's the one thing we're really really proud of. 
man, you have a law school. You should be hitting up every single one of those people for money. Yeah. <laughs> and really just support. I mean, it's it's it looks like the Wolstein Center is just too big for what it is. Oh, it is too big. I think everybody can objectively agree it's too big. Even the board of trustees can objectively agree it's too big. <laughs> Athletics <laughs> obviously agrees it's too big. That's why they have the damn curtain. It looks to me like there's there's these there's these surface parking lots all around the Wolstein Center. Uh, no, they, they are no longer there. They're, the The surface lots are. Oh yeah, the, the you're talking about the ones across the street. Those are privately owned, and those guys are all shady. Well, what I was saying is we should probably buy those up and build a parking garage or build something. No, that... because those because those greedy bastards will all probably want top dollar for it. And given the renaissance, given the given the kind of run, you know, overall renaissance of downtown Cleveland, they could probably get it. Well, the unfortunate truth is that Ohio State is the is the school of eminent domain, the land grant school in Ohio. So you can't run around and offer them, you know, offer to take their stuff for the cheap. But really, if if a school like Cleveland State is going to expand, um, the Wolstein Center really should be the the focal point of any expansion because it looks to me like if I'm looking at Cleveland State's campus. Mm-hmm. Google Maps does that thing where they, they shade in a campus to be like kind of like an off-white, kind of like a cream yeah. color, whereas the rest of the buildings, uh, the regular buildings are all green, uh, gray, and yeah. then you have park spaces green. It looks mm-hmm. to me like Cleveland State is pretty, um, is pretty centralized. Yes, it and, is. It really then, is. And then the Wolstein Center is just like kind of like this, this leg off the side. It is. And um, I think the big thing, I think I, I, I'm, it, it, I'm not, I mean, yeah. And there's, there, again, there's not a whole lot they can do about it at this point in time. I mean, again, we they have, they have, a, they, have a, they have a discussion every year about what to do with the Wolstein center. Does the university um, have a, have a real estate foundation? Um, I don't. So a, 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 a foundation that really just raises money to buy and sell buy and renovate buildings i don't we, think we so do. the uwm's real estate uwm's real estate foundation has uh, totally remade the campus i mean they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars over their time they've built a bunch of dorms we renovated an old model t factory into uh into student apartments and we really took over north avenue which had been really like a place where students just hung out six or seven blocks south of campus to really be like the south campus of the university. Okay. And the real estate foundation is how we did it. So maybe what Cleveland state needs to do is establish something like that, that can buy and renovate land, buy and build. I mean, we, we've, we've gotten to the point where our university is thinking along the same lines as Madison is, mm-hmm. which I'm sure that Ohio state is the same sure. where you're just constantly building constantly well that's the, but well they, they and that's the, and that's the thing they must have something built within their budget within their master plan cleveland state does where they're constantly building because they're still building things now they're building they just built a uh they just uh finished up a building that's going to be in partnership with the with the the nearby doctor uh, nearby medical school so you know the, the idea that there there is something going on the question is 
it hasn't really with everything that got, has gone on on campus and there within the again within the last ten within the last you know since at least 2004 2005 the 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 campus is completely transformed from when last i was there at the same time while i'm saying that the Wolstein Center has remained the same and that they don't know that they, you know, with all this stuff that's going on, you know, renovation wise, building wise, everything like that wise, that this, inst- this particular building has basically stayed the same. And there's, there's, there's been nothing less than talk and maybe putting it in, you know, future plans to be, do something with, I think what really really just kind of bothers me is that when I, when I hear about all the dorms and residence halls and everything that you've, you've talked about Cleveland state building, it sounds like they're doing it on the complete opposite side of campus from the Wolstein center. Everything's on the opposite side of the Wolstein center. (laughs) I mean, everything. You own the Wolstein center and on the other side of the, and, and then there's all this land around it that could be bought that could have been bought up and put i mean the, if they if i was planning to build a 500 bed dorm i would look at the wolstein center and say i want to have that across the street not because i'm a basketball fan who wants people to go to basketball games but because i own the wolstein center and i want to bring in all kinds of musical acts and entertainment acts and those places are more likely to come to my building if there's people, if there's, if I, if you build, if Cleveland State builds another, say, 3,000 to 4,000 bed dormitories, you know, three or four, maybe as many as eight of them, and they build them all around the Wolstein Center, all of a sudden the Wolstein Center becomes a really important place for entertainment acts to be. Because then entertainment acts know that there's no problem with transportation for a lot of the people that may be going to their acts. So 13,000 seats, yeah, I would do what I can to reduce the actual seating capacity of the place. I know that that may be impossible to do, and it may just be too expensive to really do at the the end of the day. But it needs to figure out how to work with what it has. And what it has is a building that, yes, it's too big, but... Let's do what we can to make the best of it. Let's, you know, I mean, everything in between, you know, where that day's in is, everything around the Wolstein Center should be Cleveland State owned or Cleveland State alumni or Cleveland, you know, donors who have ties to real estate development should all be working to put actual, like, real real estate development should be all around the Wolstein Center. I mean, the Wolstein Center should be seen as, if, if I'm if I'm running that program, I'm pitching to the university that the, the arena needs to be the center of everything, because that I mean the law school is only two blocks north. No, yeah, that's right. Only two blocks north. Well, and so, it's, to your point again, and it's it's funny you mention that because again the development is happening on the other side of a block away. You go on Euclid Avenue and all of the, everything across the street. So you go a block down, you know, and that's the part that always mystified me is that Euclid Avenue has been, is being built up. There's a lot more, tons more than ever was there when I was going to school back in the nineties. And 
you have so much more there, but you go down the, across the, you go again, you go down the street, across the street from, from on prospect Avenue and you have, you know, really nothing, which is interesting because there are vacant buildings sitting there doing nothing, laying around doing with nothing to do. Oh, um, real estate foundation from for Cleveland state would be an independent nonprofit that would be attached to the university that could buy up those vacant buildings and convert them to university use. Whether you're talking about classroom space or you're talking about, about living space or you're talking about student life space or you're talking about just, just miscellaneous space that the university can use. And then that space is operated by the university and the real estate foundation in conjunction. So you, you can you can make a lot of you can you can build the the campus the way you need it to be built, but you can also bring in bring in some things that maybe the university itself wouldn't be able to do. You would be be able to bring in, you know, a developer, you know, somebody who can, um, you know, somebody who wants to build an apartment complex and knows that there's this. The university with you know well actually um, uh, to your point by the way there actually is a dorm that is go that dorm that uh, they are going to start building is a block is actually a block down you can you will be able to see the Wolstein Center from that particular dorm so the, it looks like there are there are incremental steps to go to that point obviously they went north of the you know the northern campus first and I guess they're kind of working their way down but anyway. <laughs> 25 years in the next 25 years building stuff the the arena is the focal point because everything else is you know along euclid it looks like cleveland state already has that pretty much locked up yeah. so i want to expand south and take everything there so that anybody going to progressive field or anybody going to the queue from the east is is literally has to run through my campus to do it yeah so Started with Cleveland State, this Cleveland State, that it really becomes you. You, you make your campus larger and more full. So, so we got away from basketball and away from we got away from everything. So we're gonna have to wrap it up. <laughs> I, I, I we should should we do five or ten minutes on the on on fan bases and coaches? You know what? We'll catch that next week. Sorry, guys. I know that I know that there are, I know that the message boards are there are there are certain fan bases who are not happy with your coaches. We'll get you guys next week because <laughs> I don't think that's going away. I just I just I just think that the horizon. I'm gonna keep ending up talking about Cleveland. I know I'm the Cleveland State guy, but damn. Interested in talking about anybody's school? I mean, yeah. I talk about Green Bay. You know, Green. I'll talk about Green Bay and how awesome it is that go from building to building to building without ever having to go outside. Oh, you can do that at Cleveland State now, too. Well, uh, you, you couldn't do that before, but now you can. Except for, the, except for the dorms, by the way, which is hilarious. Everything but the dorms you can get to connect to. Math Tower and the chemistry building, and in between them is like a wind tunnel that in the middle of January is pretty much the worst 200 feet you could ever walk through, and a lot of times you have to do it. So... We should do the same thing. So we promise next week we'll get to the we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the fans' disdain for their co some people's fans' disdain for their coaches, and so on and so forth. But um, predictions for our game with Oakland tomorrow night? Um, I'm gonna say that one's a toss up just because 
Oakland is so unpredictable right now. I think Detroit's going to lose to Green Bay. I think, Green- I think Detroit's going to lose to Green Bay. And um, I will say this about the coaching. The drum beats for uh, Ray McCallum's ouster are going to start getting louder. That's for, that is for sure. But we'll talk Speaking about that a little bit more of that next week. Their coaches. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Um, you know, we'll be back next week as um, be sure to catch us um, and past episodes on fourlights.fm. You can also catch us on iTunes and on Stitcher and on TuneIn. And um, we'll, we'll see you next time. I'm sorry. Please subscribe, everybody. Please. Everybody subscribe. We, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about other things. Hopefully not Cleveland State next week. Oh, we'll talk. We'll talk about a lot of stuff. We'll try and have some. We'll try and have some people on. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in coming on the show, be sure to tweet at myself or Bob. Um, yes. We're, we're interested. We usually do the. We usually record on Sunday afternoons. So yes. Yes. If you're ready, willing, and able, please come along. We'll, we'd love to have you guys on the show. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. All right. Take care.